Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. This is Keith Dryan, the legislature columnist at the Edmonton Journal. You're about to listen to another edition of the Press Gallery interview. Uh, Please remember that uh, we'd love it if you uh, would subscribe to us on uh, Apple or Stitcher or any of the uh, places where you get your favorite podcasts. And if it strikes your fancy, uh, please give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Press Gallery interview, our midweek edition of the podcast here at the Edmonton Journal. My name is Keith Geryne. I am the Legislature Affairs columnist for the Journal. And uh, with us today, a very special guest. In fact, our first woman on the Press Gallery interview. Yes, exactly. It is Sarah Hoffman, the uh, Deputy Premier and Minister of Health. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Keith. Well, it's great. Uh, First woman, as I said. Uh, So nice to have that. You are known, I think one of your reputations is uh, as one of the hardest working cabinet ministers, deputy premier, health minister. These are big portfolios. You don't even have a desk in your office, uh, largely because I suspect you're not in there all that often. You're out visiting and and meeting and so on. do people keep up with you or is your staff, are you hard on your staff? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to ask Aaron. Uh, no, uh, I, I love my team. We all work uh, incredibly hard. And I remember when uh, Aaron's my press secretary, when he came over, I uh, commended him for his hard work. And he said, it's easy to work hard in this office. And I try to create a culture of that. One of the other reputations you have, uh, for lack of a better term, is kind of the the attack dog of your right. party, that when uh, some tough talk is needed, when uh, somebody is needed to come out and, and really slam the opposition, uh, they often bring you out. And is that something you enjoy? Do, do, do you volunteer for that? Uh, is it just because you have a good ability for it? Uh, how, where, where does that come from, that you're the person? Thank you for that. And I remember um, listening to the other version of the podcast, uh, you talking about that quite, kind of early on in my in my time and saying, you know, she's not exactly a Ron Leipert, but, uh, and then I thought about it. I thought about, yeah, right. I thought about all of the quote attack dogs from former governments. And I can't really think of one who was a woman. So it's kind of fun to think about that role. But honestly, like I, uh, have so much respect for the people of Alberta and for our premier. She's done uh, a lot, uh, over, I've known her for, I think 2006, I met her for the first time and I've had, uh, the pleasure of working with her and seeing her grow into this, uh, amazing, 
leader and uh, to be able to have her back and the back of the people of Alberta when I think it's needed most is a tremendous honor. So I'll play uh, whatever role in supporting Alberta's success and Rachel's success. And sometimes that means I get to come out and and uh, be a little scrappy. And uh, and the other thing is I get to be a little cheeky, which uh, kind of comes naturally. OK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have heard that about you. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, let's get into uh, some of the issues that have been uh, around this session and, and before. Um, one of the things uh, that you've been dealing with the last couple of weeks uh, was uh, some reporting from the CBC regarding the uh, Covenant Health uh, policy regarding uh, medical aid in dying. For those that don't know, Covenant Health, the Catholic-based organization, does not allow medical aid in dying in its facilities and in, in some cases will not allow even assessments on its facilities. Uh, the reporting indicated this has hurt at least a few people. Um, one in, in particular, Doreen Nowicki, who had to have her uh, her assessment done on, on the sidewalk uh, because she was kicked out of the facility that Covenant owns. This has been obviously controversial for a while. This isn't a new policy from Covenant, but knowing that there has been some uh, some patients who have really been hurt by this, What's been your process at this point? What conversations have you had with Covenant, with uh, the victims of this? Um, is there anything that actually can be done? Yeah, and I really want to begin by saying uh, how uh, much I appreciate Doreen's family sat down and, and spent some time with me. And it was a, a real um, honor to be able to sit down and hear their experiences firsthand, uh, what they experienced. And uh, of course, anyone who's saying goodbye to a loved one, a spouse, a parent, it's an incredibly difficult time. So um, I imagine that re reliving that uh, and telling those stories hasn't been easy, but that they really want their mom's passing, their wife's passing to have an impact on how patients and families are treated as we move forward. So uh, that uh that is absolutely uh, happening. And and I think I also want to remind everyone that it's uh, it's only been a little over two years since this became a legal procedure here in Canada. And I think that it is uh, uh, evolving. And I think a lot of people probably look at the federal legislation and say, does it go far enough? And that's something that the federal government will have to continue to uh, grapple with in the in the m- months and years to come. But uh, my job is to make sure that patients who exercise their right to choice, um, whatever that might be, and in this example, it's medical assistance in dying, and do so without judgment and with respect and, and with compassion. I think when you think about folks who are receiving end-of-life care, nothing's more important than helping them feel that they well, honoring the agency that they do have and having them feel that everyone is on their side and helping them through that journey. So when I read about um, the situations that have uh, been uh, covered as well as through, I've had some correspondence about uh, those exact situations as well. We acted immediately to um, involve the advisory panel and the leadership from AHS to address uh, these uh, uh very difficult situations. You know, nobody should ever feel that they have to go for health care on, on a street front. Uh, you know, that, that, I don't think anyone thinks, oh, I can't wait to go see my doctor. I hope that we sit in a park bench instead of sitting in his office where I can have a more dignified conversation with him or her. So, um, and, and I know exactly which park bench. I had a grandma who lived at the general and I know I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, I think that's right in front of Rosedale, right? Like, I think a lot of us can imagine what it would be like if we were living those situations. So um, I want to reassure everyone that uh, in the uh, extensive conversations we've had following up with Covenant and with AHS too, because they play a role in supporting the timely transfer, 
we discussed how we can make sure that this never happens again. Nobody in this fiscal year has been transferred to receive their assessment. Uh, So I think it's time that uh, Covenant update their policy. I've asked them to look into that and to do that work. Uh, They've assured me that they will. And where it says right now that that assessments will be done on site in exceptional circumstances, it certainly has become the norm. And I think it's important that their policy reflect that because that is compassionate care Um, and that we continue to work on making sure that we honor people's choice and wishes uh, and and how difficult it must be for them to make that choice. But when they have, that we have a duty as healthcare providers and, and as uh, compassionate human beings to support them. Right. Uh, well, and some of my own reporting reflects that, that in fact, most people uh, who, who need an assessment have been getting it actually in the Covenant facility recently because they do qualify as sort of frail or as a... Um, uh, unable to be moved uh, because of uh, because of their situation. Uh, so updating the policy would certainly, uh, I think, help some people see this in a better light. But there are those out there who say, you know, we should force covenant to not only give assessments on site, but to actually deliver it on site. There's people who say, if they don't do that, uh, we should just defund them, take away their funding. Those are Simple answers to a very complex problem, though. Uh, have you considered those? What do you say to people who, who say you got to get tougher with Covenant and actually take away their funding or force them to to deliver a made service? I understand why they say that. And, and honestly, when you read these stories, they can be very difficult to process. And, and everyone, I think, imagines what it would be like if it was somebody they loved. And I think Covenant understands that, too. And I think that they uh, uh, have an opportunity to show us with this uh, revised uh, policy exactly what they're going to do to ensure that compassion, which I know is one of their guiding values, is what guides the care that they're providing in the facilities that they have the honor of doing this work in. So it is a new legal procedure that continues to roll out, and I think that there will continue to be uh, ways that it evolves in in the months and years to come. Uh, I expect that uh, we will honor the federal law and that we will uh, always treat patients with respect. But no... uh no move at this point to take kind of drastic action against Covenant. I'm going to give them a chance to update their policy and uh, and see if it meets the needs of Albertans. I think that I owe them that opportunity. And especially as you've noted with your reporting and, uh, you know, they have made a number of adaptations to practice. So let's make sure that uh, we give them the chance to to live those values. And uh, if uh, if I ha- continue to have concerns, I will certainly raise those with them. And and if we need to take further steps, I uh, I'm not afraid to do that. But I think it's important that we try to work uh, together in in a caring way first, and see if we can get to good outcomes for everyone. Well, let's move on to another topic that's uh, been making some headlines, and that's, of course, wait times. Uh, Everyone's worried about wait times. Um, Some numbers from the Canadian Institute for Health Information that shows that the wait times for uh, he, uh, hip and knee replacements, for example, are up. Uh, the average time right now for a, I think a hip is nearly about four months. Um, uh, for a, a knee, it's about five months. Uh, cataracts is uh, over three months on average. And that, that, of course, is just average times. There are people waiting considerably longer than that. Um, also, wait times up for a CT scan for MRIs. Uh, this is not just an Alberta problem. Wait times are going up across the country. Um, the difference, though, in Alberta, I think people are going to say, well, we spend more. In fact, there's new numbers out 
again today from the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Alberta spends per capita more than anyone else in the province, and yet our our wait times aren't significantly better, at least on those services. Um, what do you say to people that uh, that are concerned that we are going in the wrong direction there? What are we doing to to try and address it? Uh, one thing I want to say is that that the volume has also gone up. We are providing more surgeries than we have ever before. We have 55 different surgical facilities across the province and that more people continue to receive health care and move to Alberta. So volume is up. And uh, if you're one of the people who's waiting, obviously, uh, hearing that uh, they're doing more surgeries for other people isn't much comfort. Uh, I get that. Uh, That's one of the reasons why we put extra funds in budget 2018 specifically to target wait times in a number of areas, including cancer surgeries. I think uh, we know that the research is very clear. The faster you can get in for your cancer surgery, the the greater your probability of success in, in curing uh, and treating your cancer is. So that's incredibly important. Uh, cataract is one of the areas we focused on as well as cardiac. And these are um, areas that we know we have work to do. And, and the solution, in my opinion, isn't to magically spend less money. We've worked with our frontline healthcare providers to uh, sit down and make sure that every dollar that we put in goes towards uh, increasing uh, quality of service and, 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 and the number of people who are working on the front lines to help provide greater care. So while um, we do spend more, this is certainly something that uh, has been the case in Alberta for many, many years. Uh, we uh, do have uh, a lot to celebrate as well in terms of some of the strides we've made in reducing wait times, uh, cancer surgeries being one. Uh, and uh, and there is absolutely more work to be done. But the way you do that isn't by cutting money out of the healthcare system. We, the way you do that is by being strategic about where your increased investment goes. So, uh, you know, when my uh, opponents regularly talk about how and not uh, reaching out to ask for supports uh, when their families definitely could benefit from it. So we are... Uh, making sure we continue to increase capacity and access for families right across this province. Calgary, for example, we, for the first time ever, Government of Alberta gave funding to the Calgary Counseling Centre and and the services that they provide there uh, have a, a big focus on family and, uh, and they also reach out through some uh, uh, technology means to counsel folks in surrounding areas as well. So, so much done, but there is absolutely much more to be done. I'll just mention one more, and that's the 24-7 clinic that we're opening at the Royal Alex. We announced that uh, recently, and it'll open later this winter. And uh, having a place that you can go any time of the day, any day of the year to go get uh, counseling services in the heart of Edmonton, I think is going to make a big difference. Uh, well, as well, uh, the uh, the continuing care sector, this is another one. Uh, the last figure I saw was uh, about 50% or 51% of uh, people uh, waiting for a continuing care space, got it within 30 days. That's well down uh, from the the high 60s and 70s we've seen in uh, a few just a few years ago. Uh, the alternative level of care days. This is the essentially the number of beds uh, taken up by people uh, in a hospital who shouldn't be there, who should be in some other uh, other venue, likely a continuing care center. That's up to about 17% now, which is a high number, about 19% in the Calgary region. Beds are coming online. Uh, we know that. Uh, to, yes. uh, but uh, how confident are you that this is a trend that's going to be reversed uh, quickly within the next six months, say? 
Yeah, so the 2,000 beds, uh, long-term care and dementia care beds are absolutely needed, and we've known that, and that's why we put in our platform, and that's why we're making sure those uh, get online, and they will before the end of this term. Uh, many of them uh, are open already and continue to uh, add to the supports in our communities, but it's not going to be finished there. We have more to build, and uh, particularly like when you talk about alternate level of care, a lot of people know somebody who was was waiting for a placement, and while we did amend the policy rather than the first bed available is where you go. And I think that that is good. That is compassionate. It means more people are waiting in hospital for the space that they want to go to. Um, So that's that's definitely tough on them. It's tough on the hospital too, if you have other patients who uh, could benefit from being there. But I think it is important that we try to limit the number of transfers, especially uh, when you're you're in need of uh, uh, long-term care. A lot of the research shows that the the minimum number of transfers leads to better outcomes. So, uh, so I respect why uh, why it is important for us to to honor that. Uh, but we absolutely have more more facilities that we need to build beyond the two thousand. That's why we're building uh, here at Norwood and Edmonton in Calgary at uh, Bridgeland, which is adjacent to where the uh, old. Calgary General used to be. And Fort McMurray is another public build as well. So those those do take time, but there is a tremendous uh, need in the province of Alberta. And uh, this is one of the things when you cut and you cancel infrastructure, you might be moving deficit from the books to the community. But that what does that actually do when you fail to build for the needs of today and tomorrow? It means that you've got people living in a hospital bed who shouldn't be there. And economically, that doesn't make sense. That's really bad fiscal management. Uh, but definitely, it doesn't make sense for, for quality of care and quality of life either. So uh, we have a lot of work to do to catch up on bad uh, planning that was done in the past. And uh, we, again, we've done a lot, but uh, you can't solve uh, all of these problems, unfortunately, in four years. Uh, there's still more work to be done beyond that. I want to look forward to that election now. Um, obviously, I haven't seen a poll in a while, but the last ones were not particularly kind to the NDP. How are you feeling these days about the campaign to come? You know, I spend a, a lot of time on the doorsteps uh, talking to the people who give us our jobs and uh I have to say things are definitely uh, looking up. I think that there's a path and, and and I don't think anyone can take democracy for granted. I think it's important for all of us to every day work hard at the jobs we have and do the best we can for our province. And, and if polls were the greatest predictor of outcomes, you'd be talking to uh, Premier Danielle Smith right now, right? And, and we know that, uh, that the people carry a lot of power when it comes to making these decisions. So all the power, in fact. Uh, so I think uh, it would be uh, wrong of us to to make assumptions about what's going to happen in the spring. But I'll tell you, I will continue to work uh, every day to the best of my capacity to serve the people of this province and give them a chance to make the decision about the future direction. But the the two options that are being presented, uh, I think, are a very there's going to be a very clear choice in the spring. I think Mr. Kenny has made it very clear that he has built a party that welcomes all sorts of extreme uh, views. It seems like you can't go a week without there being uh, references to homophobia, Islamophobia, transphobia, homo- uh, sexism, misogyny, like the list goes on. And it is, um, it's not the kind of Alberta that I want to live in and uh, that uh, I think uh, has any place. And and I understand, I'm not saying that he's showing these views. I want to be very clear. It's not that he's saying that these things are all right, but these people think it is all right to have these views and to be active in his party. And, uh, you know, leadership is about saying, uh, we will not tolerate hate and there is no place for you in the future of this organization, this party, or, 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 or in the government of Alberta. And 
Um, I think that our premier has been very clear on the kind of Alberta she wants to build, uh, one that works for everybody, that is a, a, a respectful, loving place, and one that makes sure we get full value for our resources. She has been a tenacious advocate for uh, for pipeline to Tidewater and for getting full value for the people of Alberta. And uh, Mr. Kenny had 20 years to make that happen when he was in Ottawa, 10 years when he was a federal cabinet minister, and he didn't get it done then. Um, but, uh, you know, in the last three and a half years, uh, Rachel definitely has made great strides on that. There's more to be done, but uh, I know that uh, she is not one to give up. Yeah, this, this, these rise of, of extremist views that seem to keep coming up. I mean, there, there's a debate in our newsroom about where this has come from. It, you know, has it always been there and has just kind of found a home now with the UCP? Is it uh, the impact of Donald Trump? Is it mm. um, some other factor that we're unaware of? Is it possibly the you know the economy uh, and people getting frustrated and saying things that uh, or th- starting to think things that they wouldn't normally have thought uh, previously? Do you have any sense of where this is coming from? Do you have any sense on uh, how people can how concerned people are? I mean, a lot of the the friends I have in Calgary, they are concerned about it. But they're more concerned about the economy, and 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 so they're they're willing to put up with some of this stuff as long as it doesn't get too high in the leadership of the UCP. That that's sort of their their uh, their drawing point. So I guess two questions: Where is it coming from? Uh, and do you think it's gotten to a serious enough point that it's actually going to trump the economy in people's views of the next election? Well, I guess what's too high in the leadership mean to your friends would be one of my questions. Uh, I think that when you have somebody that was running a phone bank uh, for you and uh, it takes you a day to say that you're not okay with the fact that they were writing uh, a white supremacist group by day and running your phone bank by night, like it, it shouldn't take you time to determine whether or not those kinds of views are, 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 are appropriate or not. And uh the fact that that the leadership stops like that is the leader of the UCP stops to think for a day about whether or not he's going to respond to these things. And then when you ask fair questions, refuses to answer your questions about them, like I'd say that is impacting the leadership of the UCP, whether he himself <laughs> carries those views or not. The fact that he isn't acting swiftly or most recently with references to uh, Mr. Carpe talking about uh, the pride flag and, and that it's a symbol of, uh, of of hate and making references to the swastika. Like, this is stuff that I never thought we'd see in our Alberta, to be very frank. Like, I thought we were so much further ahead than that. And then for Ms. Kenny to say, well, I don't have any ability to remove him from the party. Like, that just doesn't, uh, I, that doesn't pass the nod test for most Albertans, I don't think. So um, whether he's saying these kinds of hateful or hurtful things or not, I think it definitely is showing a lack of leadership. So um, so that is what I want to say about that issue to begin with. <laughs> in terms of the economy and jobs, uh, absolutely. We, we both uh, know, uh, I'd say no matter what party you're in, that it's important for us to get uh, good jobs. Now, what that means and how you go about doing it are the are, 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 that's where your your values sort of come into play. So we've seen through some of the resolutions, they want to go back to privatized two-tiered healthcare. Well, okay, so we're going to be laying off frontline nurses and, and healthcare professionals to make that happen, the ones that are working in the public system. I don't think that that's good for our economy either. Uh, so that's uh, one point. And then if you really are as committed to our pipeline as you said uh, you are now that you're at Alberta, because I think when we checked the Hansard in Ottawa, he referenced pipelines once. Um, so if if now it is so important to you, uh, you know, what are you going to do that's different than our premier? Because she has shown that she is not going to back down. She's uh, 
you know, uh, worked to make sure that Trans Mountain goes forward on making sure we get our, our product to Tidewater to the point where the federal government bought a pipeline because they know how important this is to the national interest. Have they gotten that pipeline built yet? And do we have that oil flowing? No. And that's why we launched the new uh, Keep Canada Working sort of 2.0 campaign, uh, really focused on Ottawa and Capitol Hill to make sure that they know exactly uh, what's happening on Parliament Hill to 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 our lost opportunities here in Alberta and, and right across Canada. So, you know, when it comes to the economy, absolutely, Rachel Notley has uh, working people as her number one focus day and night, and that's not going to stop. And uh, we'll see what the focus is of uh, the UCP uh, if they do come forward with a platform. And lastly, the Trump reference that you mentioned, you mm-hmm. know, when you run a candidate who, you know, spent 10 months working on Donald Trump's campaign, was proudly seen wearing the Make America Great Again hat, and then you make him your critic for trade. Uh, I think that says something about how your values align with the values of uh, of um, the leader south of the border. So uh, I think probably everyone in your newsroom is right. There's probably <laughs> there's probably a piece of 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 uh, of it in every single one of those arguments that's being made. And to me, that uh, that's scary, and that says that there's a. Uh, 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 we're getting close uh, to really seeing kind of the politics of the South creeping their way across our border. And uh, and I think we need to push back. We need to fight against that. And we need to make sure that Alberta is the kind of uh, loving and inclusive place that we all deserve an opportunity to have a good job, send our kids to good schools and get good quality health care. All right. Well, it is going to be an interesting campaign. Uh, a lot of issues that will be coming up, including some that we probably didn't think we were going to be talking about. But uh, I think they're going to be there. We will wrap it up there uh, because we're out of time. Uh, That was Sarah Hoffman, a Deputy Premier and Minister of Health. Thank you very much for joining us. My honor. Thanks for having me, Keith. Thanks again, everyone. This was the Press Gallery interview. We will be back again next week with another exciting guest. Join us then.